This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, February 26, 2022. Dornall, how was your week? Hey, man. It's been a good week. Uh, what can I say? Life is fine. Life is good. Uh, for those of you interested in cool RPG stuff on the internet, I've got some big news from some of our friends and partners. The uh, Combat Frame Exceed role-playing game from our, our former co-host, Brian Niemeyer. Uh, that's been live for a couple of weeks. You can get that... Uh, you can get the paperback on Amazon and, and of course, the ebook. Uh, and right here on the channel, he did a test of the RPG. He did a, about a two-hour stream going over the battle system. I believe he used Roll20 as the virtual tabletop. So that's pretty um, cool. I don't know if we're supposed, if I'm supposed to say this or not. But uh, I might have heard something, and I'm going to call this a rumor um, until there's public confirmation. But the rumor is that there's a role-playing game uh, for Forgotten Ruin that's... Uh, well nigh on the very, very verge of being released. Um, it's already been released. Already been released. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I just backed it yesterday. <laughs> it's it's released, but it's still available for backing. Oh, yeah. It's, well, I mean, yeah, it's, in, it's on Kickstarter. I mean, it's, uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's, on, it's been crowdfunded right now. Okay. So, well, we need to get... We need to get Jason on the show, and we're here's the thing, uh, Doranal. We are booked up for guests through the middle of April. <laughs> <laughs> Literally every single Saturday from now until the middle of April. This is uh, for for those of you who are new here. And I'm going to pause and thank everybody hanging out in the chat. I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, for, for those of you who, who might be new around here, that is an unprecedented level of preparation <laughs> on the Geek App. We, we are now future thinking. Uh, next week, uh, we have got Larry Curry and Steve Diamond still, still planning to come on the show. Um, David West, uh, Sky Hernstrom, uh, Richard Fox, JB Jackson. Um, so yeah, uh, we've also got, uh, um, we want to get Alex Krasova slotted in sometimes. She's got a Kickstarter going on in the middle of March. And now uh, we want to get uh, somebody for the Forgotten Ruin Kickstarter to come on the show. Uh, 
because I have a conduit to the designer of the game, so we can bring them on the show, and we may have to do an actual, like, special time <laughs> show to get them on, because all our regular times are eaten up. Well, I don't know if I don't know if the, our listeners could handle much more of us each week. That would be that'd be an overload. But uh, my week, uh, the big notable thing in my week is I've become obsessed for the last couple of days with uh, House of the Rising Sun by the Animals, nineteen sixty four. Originally, Woody Guthrie song, but the Animals just did their cover of it and knocked it out of the park. And I just keep on listening to it over and over again because it starts off awesome and just can't stop being awesome. And I'm telling you folks, it's an <laughs> awesome song. You should listen to it. Oh, I know it's so awesome it really, that really is. it used to be, you couldn't get much more than an hour into a typical classic rock radio station without hearing it. Uh, or any movie about New Orleans. Yeah. Uh, so that so was that's, my that's week. Been, that was your week, just listening to a song on repeat? There's a couple of, well, that's not exactly all my week, but the couple of other things that have been happening this week, one of which I can't talk about yet. Um, well, I told you, but, you know, I can't mm. talk about it in public yet. Uh, and then continuing work on the thing, uh, of course. Uh, so, yeah. So the thing I've decided not to talk about until it's closer to being a thing, and then the thing that I can't talk about yet, but when I can, I will tell you about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know it's important to you. It's vague. a big secret right now. You're, you're vague booking now. No, I signed a contract last night. Oh, really? Yeah, I got the contract in an email. and Oh, good uh, for you. Well, then you'll to, be able to talk about it soon. Yeah, I had to add my address to it and then uh, electronically sign it. And uh, I emailed it back at like 3 in the morning because uh, that's when I was awake. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, it's officially contracted and stuff. Um so I can't talk about it, but it's not like this vague thing that may happen sometime, maybe in the future. It's 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 real paperwork. It's really been, you know, really signed. And uh, I'm excited about it. Um, and uh, I hope other people are excited about it. When it happens, you'll be able to. Uh, uh, it's kind of a flashback to the future sort of thing that has nothing to do with time travel or back to the future. Uh, in other news, in other RPG news, if you guys are enjoying the BroSR saga on Twitter or on, or in the, uh, the BroSR blogs, the Trollopolis Reloaded is picking up steam they've got multiple dms running games and this giant you know always on running world and uh and the stories are picking back up so follow jeffro on twitter follow fluid the druid on on twitter really entertaining stuff uh if you like me would like to live vicariously through other people playing 
uh, Dungeons and Dragons the way it was meant to be played. Didn't all the elves in Trilopolis just disappear? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I mean, they, they're notoriously anti-elf in those parts. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're, I've never seen a more in-game racist group of players. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I, I wanted I wanted to do this, but apparently the tab I had open with all this stuff uh, on it was uh, was gone. Also, I'm going to complain for a bit. There used to be this site, this wonderful, wonderful site, this site that I felt like I could depend on, called the Pen and Paper RPG Database, where if you had uh, you know a game you wanted to look at and just get some basic stats on, or an author or a person or whatever, you could go there. Uh, and, it, and it was just a database of all these books and stuff. Um, and apparently it's been shut down. So I had to go to the Wayback Machine, the Internet Archive and stuff, to get it. Uh, but uh, apparently that tab got closed somehow somewhere in the last couple of days. So we're going to see if I can do this from memory. Low in the... Uh, four times of the 90s, the peak of Western civilization, or or the the coming down off the peak of Western civilization, our current guest, uh, was instrumental in, uh, unbeknownst to me, making several of my favorite game books. Um, heavily involved in the design of GURPS Martial Arts 2nd Edition, which I loved with an unreasoning love. Uh, and as I've been doing my martial arts for the thing, uh, I honestly, it's been in the back of my mind. And I didn't even know to know. Uh, was uh, instrumental in creating Unisystem for uh, CJ Corella's Witchcraft for Armageddon, and then Armageddon, the end times. It also showed up in All Flesh Must Be Eaten, which is the premier zombie game of all time. It has never been equaled and never been surpassed. Um, and uh, also showed up in the Buffy role-playing game. Um, became sort of Eden Studios' uh, house system. Um and was also instrumental in writing GURPS War Against the Chitor, uh, or Kitor, um, and several, several, several other uh, role-playing games. So a lot of the landmark games in the 1990s, uh, our guest was either in, uh, wrote and designed uh, themselves, uh, himself, or uh, was involved in writing material for. Now, uh, about 2003 um, was the last credited role-playing game supplement I could find, and then uh, came back and started writing novels, uh, one of which, one series of which I plugged on the show several weeks ago, and I'm going to do it again. It's the Warp Marine Pentology, five-book series, which, again, I loved. So great, and I want to talk about that today, among other things. But he also has a second book of his Lit RPG series coming out. And he's got 
you know, Milosev series. He's got a uh, transgenre book uh, that came out in 2018. He's got a fantasy series uh, follow-up to the Wart Marines, which I haven't read yet, but it's a trilogy that's on my list. And uh, his new lit RPG, among other books, uh, I haven't mentioned because I am just hitting the highlights of his career. So we want to welcome onto this show, and I hope you picked up the hint from the name of the game, CJ Carella's Witchcraft. We want to welcome CJ Carella onto the show. Thank you very much for agreeing to come on, sir. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. So. Yeah, you you pretty much caught uh, most of the highlights right there. Um, I was gonna say I, I, I to like say, the sound of this guy. We should have him on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, made me sound good. I just have yeah. to say this: uh, DW is a great series. DW is not too expensive. Uh, sorry, DW. I'm gonna I'm gonna one more joke. He's not too expensive. If you wanted to hire him as your pitch man. You know he'll he'll help you out. If, okay, if, I'll have my people call his people. That's right. Like this is this is Daddy Warpig at a seven. You if you want him at ten, turn the volume down on your headset. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. Go ahead. No, no, no. That was it. Uh, we had. Uh, so let's do this the kind way. Um, tell us about your current series, because we might as well start off with a bang. All right. Well, um, yeah, I'm currently writing a lit RPG, which is a uh, sort of um, a pretty popular subgenre of fantasy that uh, involves uh, gaming elements within the story. So I'm currently on the second book of the series, and I'm also continuing the to release the book in episode form on uh, Kindle Vela, which is a new Amazon program that lets you uh, put up episodes uh, one one chapter at a time, basically. Um, so this is book two. Um, book one uh, is called Killer Mode, and the the main premise is. Um, um, a gamer girl, a college student, uh, sits down to play a, a typical MMORPG, but instead finds herself in the universe of the MMORPG in the body of her character. And uh, from there, she happens to uh, steal the powers of a goddess. So now she's playing the game as if we're in god mode. Uh, except it's not as much fun as one would think. Uh, mostly because everybody's trying to either take it from her and kill her or just kill her. Now, so I'm, not mostly, a, yeah. I'm not a lit RPG fan, so I have to, I'm sorry to jump in. I just need to know something about the world. Now, is, is the premise, part of the premise that once you're in the RPG world, you can actually be killed in it? Oh, yes. Um, yeah, th this is um, what they call portal or lit RPG rather than virtual reality, which is the other sub-variety. So in, in this one, she's in a world, uh, it's, a, it's a physical world, uh, it just has different uh, rules. Uh, but yeah, you can be killed. Um, now, um, certain types of people have a, a, the ability to respawn a number of times, but uh, it's a limited number of extra lives. So they can, they can and, and they do die. Permanently. Uh huh. Um, you remember Order the Stick, right? 
I remember that comic, yeah. Yeah, so how they run around and talk about getting XP and leveling up and learning a new spell. Many lit RPG, uh, or at least the beginning, the, the foundational lit RPG books from Japan um, were basically Dungeons and Drabbles, Dungeons and Drabbles, Dungeons and Dragons game books uh, uh, set in worlds like Dungeons and Dragons because it is uh, that uh, where characters would go into a role playing game world and immediately be subject to game mechanics of a role playing game, of a tabletop role playing game, where, you know, they would level up and get more powerful and they would learn spells and they would be, you know, consciously knowing that they were gaining experience and stuff. Only it was serious, not necessarily, you know, it was comedic because, you know, Japan, but but it was also like real threat. Right. Uh, and this is pretty much uh, the, the same kind of a story. Uh, you have all these gaming uh, elements. Uh, in fact, uh, when when a character hits somebody, actually a little number pops up showing how much damage they did. Yeah. Uh, but they also see the, the you know they also see the guts spilling out from an from a belly wound. So it's um, and and they get all the feels and smell of of the real thing. So it's um, and people. From our world, who ends up in in that world, have to to come to grips with that reality. Whereas the natives obviously have been living with it all their lives. So um, that's that's basically the the flavor of the genre. And the so that was the first book. The you said the God Killer. Yeah, God Killer Mole is the the first novel of that series. So. Now that she's got the powers of a god and presumably survives, uh, everybody trying to take them from her. How do you? Where do you go from there? What's the second book about? Well, in the second book, she um, steals a, a teleporting sphinx, and um, uh, as in the statue rather than the monster, and um, ends up um, hopping around uh, this uh, this universe, uh, getting in trouble, and. Um, she um, she's still being hunted down, um, among other things, uh, by the cult of the goddess whose powers she stole. So she's still being hunted. She's trying to survive. Um, she's made several friends amongst the locals, plus a few other players that uh, got abducted into this world. And uh, they have their own baggage and issues that she has to deal with. So it's, it's a bit of a soap opera and a long chase scene. With uh, lots of killing. And <laughs> with lots of killing. You have my attention, sir. Oh, yeah. Everything <laughs> can be made better with some uh, ultra violence. So that's, that's what my uh, dad used to say. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't, I don't really do a slice of life. I do more like a slice across the throat. So that's, that's the, the kind of style I like to write. That's a good one. Yeah, I love the, the whole pop revolution idea that tried to bring back the good old entertainment of uh, the 30s and, and also the 70s and 80s because uh, I grew up reading uh, 
sort of like so-called garbage uh, pop fiction, like uh, the Mac Bolan Executioner series and the Modesty Blaze novels. And um, they warped my mind, so now I, I'm passing it on to a new generation. So I mostly focus on action and adventure and um, and try to make things entertaining. That seems a John. You you got me. You got me. I was I was giving DW a chance to jump back in. Sorry. <laughs> Although I, I I can't help but think that, um, it, based on your long career writing RPGs, that's that's your sweet spot anyway. You wouldn't uh, we wouldn't play RPGs if it weren't for the adventure. Oh yeah, I mean it's um, it's your basic wish fulfillment plus uh, you know you know escapist uh, literature combined with uh, with game rules, which I mean a, a, a big subset of nerd culture loves, including myself. Um, so yeah, that's what makes role playing uh, games entertaining, in my opinion. So, yeah, for me, Lit RPG was like a natural development since I spent almost 20 years uh, writing games. So I, I actually designed the basic rules of the of the subsystem um, overlaying the, the game world uh, and the fantasy universe. Is that, how playable is that? Like, could you license that to a game company to actually create an MMO? Well, no, because... Um, I based it more on, on a World of Warcraft style uh, game, so the rules would really need a lot of computing power to uh, to develop. It has a lot of details that uh, it would be hard to re replicate on on pen and paper. Although it can probably be done, you you can probably adapt it to an RPG. I just don't don't think I'm going to have the time to be able to do it myself. But if somebody ever wants to license it, just um, have their people call my people, my people being me and my <laughs> cat. So. Well, I mean, Activision just got Activision Blizzard just got purchased by Microsoft, so they they might be looking for more IPs. We we'll, we'll talk to them about it. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you follow MMOs uh, in life? Um, yeah, I, I haven't played uh, WoW in a while, but uh, I still I still watch the the reviews of the of whatever iteration they're on, and of course I heard about all the scandals uh, amongst top management. It's funny because I interviewed for um, for a position as lead um, developer for the game that was going to be called Titan that never came out. So I got to speak to uh, to some of those uh, those people, but. Uh, uh, I think now, in retrospect, I'm lucky they didn't get the job. Yeah, it sounds like they uh, they had a lot of problems, and that project was going to be doomed from the start. Yeah. So, and who knows what's going to happen now? Um, well, full disclosure, I work at Microsoft, but I don't I, I don't know anybody in Microsoft Gaming right now, so oh. I could find out. Okay, and and I and I'll just let me reassure you. I love all Microsoft products. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> love them to death. Well, I mean, if uh, on the subject to to be to be sincere, there's a lot of them that I really really like, and I'm I'm thankful for. 
Uh, but Microsoft and uh, and all the other big companies, they've earned their reputations. Yeah. Good and bad. Yeah, yeah I can see that. But um, I mean, I still use um, Word for for my writing. So I, among I stopped. I stopped using Word when they went to a subscription service. I, I can't do it. It sticks in my craw. I don't blame you. I mean, I, I the only reason I'm doing it myself is because I just uh, get take it off my taxes, so it's not. Um, not a terrible yeah. expense, but but yeah, I wasn't I wasn't thrilled with that. So yeah, once, uh, once companies figured that out, who boy? Yeah. Um, we read you, DW. I'm trying to ask this question in a way that doesn't make it sound like a question that really kind of annoys me because I know the answer to it already. Oh, crap. See, the question that annoys writers, and I know this question annoys writers because I've heard writers say how annoying the question is. Um, hey, where do you get your ideas from? Um... <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, you hear that a lot, but that's not the uh, question I want to ask. Is oh, good. Um, <laughs> I hate that question. No, because uh, I was about to just hang up. <laughs> no, yeah, carry on. <laughs> um, I'm abruptly changing the subject because, because uh, I'm the host and I can do that. I uh, in in Warp Marine. Um, let me give a little introduction for the audience before we jump there so I can at least cushion the abrupt change in subject. Warp Marine is a military sci-fi series, and it's set in a universe where the human race has, uh, for about 100 years, been out among the stars among uh, about 14 different alien stellar nations and it has been struggling and fighting to survive and expand um, in the midst of very very uh, harsh dog-eat-dog uh, politics basically it's grab what you can grab and if you are stronger than someone they will roll over you um, and take everything you've got and probably wipe you out the first time humanity even learned that there were aliens that actually existed this alien race came to earth dropped these special kind of weapons on major cities and destroyed them and killed a huge percentage, most, of the human race. Um, the only people who survived were those outside of major metropolitan areas. So 
after that, one of the races that the race that was responsible for leading this uh, predatory species to us helped get us on our feet. And we decided to go really, really aggressive just to protect ourselves. And in due time, um, we established a policy of don't start nothing, won't be nothing. And then the race that tried to wipe out humanity, we turned around and genocided. We wiped them out. There are none of them left. Um, and then a couple of ally species who really took a couple of species who were allies to them who took offense at that and started trying to wipe humanity out. We said, oh, you want some too? Have some. And did the same thing. Um, and there's some a lot of other things involved there. Um, and the question I had to ask is, uh, the way it was described in the books was Jeffersonian, um, that worldview. Uh, and I'm just wondering, what was it that gave you the inspiration for that kind of politics? Because that is, uh, and I will admit, I am not a an exhaustive reader of Mill SF. Uh, I have sampled a lot of the new modern indie Amazon Mill SF, but your uh, Wart Marine books predate all of those. Uh, by quite a bit. And so I'm just wondering, um, what is it that inspired you to use uh, that kind of politics uh, for the uh, Wharton Marine books? Because I think that really, really uh, made the, the, the world, the universe compelling. Um, well, uh, I would say two things inspire me. Uh, first, the writings of uh, David Drake, uh, uh, the you know the guy who wrote Hammers and Slammers for uh, Bain Books. Yes. Uh, he yeah he wrote very grim, uh, very realistic um, uh, Mill SF, uh, based mainly on his experiences in the Vietnam War. So that was a big inspiration, and the other one was Star Trek in that I wanted to do the polar opposite of Star Trek. Um, so in instead of having like uh, nice wise races and the occasional bad guy off in a corner, no, everybody's a bad guy. Uh, yeah, not, not just the bad guys, it's a, it's a setting, as you say, it's based on power politics. It's, it's People do whatever they think they can get away with. So I wanted, uh, I figure a, a military setting requires a harsh environment where um, where humanity uh, has to toughen up. Uh, they have to uh, to try to be the scariest uh, people in the block. Uh, one of the, the uh, generals in the, the story basically says, well, in this world, we are the Klingons. We are the toughest guys in the, in the galaxy. So... Um, yeah, so some the idea was trying to create create a uh, very uh, many sources for conflict. So so I I, I used my um, what what I knew about about world history and tried to um, 
to um, apply to different species uh, and that have different uh, cultures and civilizations, but in the end, they're just trying to survive and, if possible, wipe out the competition. It's very Darwinian. Man, this is awful because I sound like a fanboy every time I open my mouth, but I'm going to do it again and I don't even care. One of the things I thought was really uh, insightful that I haven't seen in other sci-fis is that the natural allies and enemies people tend to fall into were a function of, in a large part, the appearances of the species that is if you had characters who literally start you know their stomachs start churning they start vomiting just standing in the room with another member of a species they're unlikely to even be able to ally with that species so you had uh i believe it was the lampreys um with the large lamprey mouth in the center of their face almost looks like, uh, uh, you know, an, an anus. Um, <laughs> yeah, basically. And, yeah, in fact, uh, yeah. yeah. Nobody likes them, yeah. And, and likes yeah. Them. And, uh, nobody, nobody likes the anus mouth aliens. No, yeah. and to compound the uh, their ugliness, they're communists. So. Um, I don't but know the, what's worse. Yeah. But, the species that the humans get along with the most are those that are somewhat reminiscent of uh, of dogs. Yep, the puppies. I mean, the puppies, yeah. Um, and because that just naturally makes humans kind of go, oh. I mean, even if they're just regular people and they're no more or less you know, good or bad than the other race, they're still this, they still have their own self-interest. They still are, you know, just as prone to being warlike and violent stuff, but they're, they want to help us because they feel ashamed at causing the near genocide of earth, but they make human beings go, oh, and so humans find them natural allies. Um, and that's something that, I've never seen touched upon in other uh, sci-fi stories before is that really it's a, it's an intrinsic innate reaction that, that informs um, which races become allies that in many ways you can't even help. It's like random biological factors determine who you're going to team up with, and that's just the way it is. Yeah, I mean, I think one aspect that uh, doesn't get touched a lot in science fiction is that humans and probably most sapient races, if there are any others, are more likely to be rationalizing than rational. In other ways, they'll make excuses for, for whatever their natural impulses and instincts want them to do. Uh, so, so the idea that that a lot of their decision making is going to be based on something as simple as as how pleasing their appearance, uh, the aliens' appearance is, I think it's part and parcel of uh, the human condition. I think mean, spiders, uh, psychologically speaking, 
are just really creepy to human beings. They they just set something off in us. Um, they're revolting. Um, and so if you had an alien species that looked like or or moved like spiders move, because it isn't just their looks, it's how they move. Um, we're not going to be close friends or trust them or become close allies with them. However close we may have, you know, actually be in, uh, you know, real politic terms of, well, we both are enemies with this other species, or we are so far apart in territory that our interests don't come into con conflict or whatever. I mean, the best you could hope for in that kind of situation is we're on opposite sides of the galaxy, so we really don't bother each other um and we just kind of ignore each other's existence uh but yeah that's that's just uh kind of an inherent thing or aliens who fall into sort of the uncanny valley um if you have an alien race that falls into the uncanny valley you're not going to be close with them they're gonna creep you out every time you're around it even if they look human if they didn't the closer they get to human, the creepier they get. And so you may actually find it more easy to ally with someone like the puppies because they're enough like something you find cute to be allying with, but not so close to human as to set off your um, weirdness detector. Right. Um so yeah, that I, I thought that was a fascinating concept that I'd never seen explored in sci-fi is the kind of the innate tendencies of of human psychology and how that would uh, have a huge effect on uh, on things. When uh, I think it was accurate, and I thought it was well played out in in the politics of the setting and even individual. Uh, reactions uh, and, and it added a bunch of uh, verisimilitude to the setting John save me from fanboying I can't I, I love uh, I think uh, you said it succinctly uh, what would it look like if humans were rationalizing instead of rational which is I think closer to the truth than any of us really wants to admit and uh, it's, I, I think it's an icebreak from Star Trek in a different way because you, 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 you said one thing about, oh, I want there to be more bad guys and not a bunch of you know wise sapient races. But the other thing that uh, Star Trek takes for granted is that sort of, you know, that rational nature, right? Like the, the Vulcans are kind of the the space elves. The they're supposed to be the ultimate good guys. I mean, uh, until they made up Enterprise, anyway. Yeah. And then, uh, but yeah, uh, I like that aspect of it, that deliberate walk away from the sort of uh, pseudo-intellectual guys with screwdrivers kind of sci-fi. Um, and that sort of speaks to your, your upbringing that you are here to write pulp adventure. You're not, you're not interested in Star Trek. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I I, I love um, 
modernista, the classic uh, version of Star Trek. But, I mean, Kirk's um, running front kick is on Khan is is oh yeah, <laughs> it's television television uh, history right there. Yeah, but even even when it came to the next generation, uh, I started finding some of their their basic principles to be uh, rather revolting, and it's only gotten worse since then. Uh, so yeah, I wanted something with a lot more real politic rather than than some illusion that uh, progress is inevitable and things can only get better, which I think can be uh, as damaging as thinking that there is no hope. Uh, I, th I think that you need to have a balance. But um, the idea that uh, everything is going to be just great and dandy and everybody can get along, uh, I think it's uh, it's an illusion. And or at least for for my setting, I wanted something where you no, know, this is a nasty neighborhood, and to survive, you're gonna have to be the nastier person in the neighborhood. It makes sense. Uh, it reminds me of um, a little bit of Ender's Game, and and I hope that's a, that's a you take that as a compliment because I think one of the things that sort of informed the worldview and the setting of Ender's Game is this idea that, hey, when you're confronted with an alien race that you cannot communicate with at all, you know, and they appear hostile, then sometimes your only option is to go all in uh, because they're doing the same thing to you. Um, and that seems like a little more, that seems a little more grounded in reality. Um, I'd, I'd like to think that if you know, if we encountered extraterrestrials, they would also be curious and they wouldn't all, they wouldn't necessarily want to be like, well, they must have a, a resource rich world. So let's go take it. Right. But you know what? That could happen. It's likely to happen. Yeah. I mean, uh, really first contact uh, is, uh, is fraught with peril and, I think uh, if you ask any any of the pre-Columbian civilizations that encountered a more advanced uh, uh, culture, uh, they will be happy, happy to tell you, except they're all dead. <laughs> oh, why did I laugh? Go to hell, guys. <laughs> no, I, I thought it was meant to be, uh, <laughs> I guess. Uh, my, my sense of humor tends to be a little on the dark side. Um, um, go ahead. There was a book that I just spotted uh, while I was doing my research. Did, did you catch that, Dorno? I did hey, research. Man. This is the most prepared we've ever been. I know. It's kind of disconcerting. I don't know what I'm going to do. If people expect me to do this for every show, that that's... I don't know how I'm going to live up to that. Um, no, really. Um the book you published in 2018, the uh, transgenre book, which I haven't read yet because, and I'll be perfectly frank here, I'm out of money till the first because hmm. it's the end of the month and, you know, people run out of money at the end of the month. Um, it, uh, it sounded really, really fascinating. Um, it was about a world where and I'm just badly paraphrasing the Amazon description, which I'm assuming is paraphrasing the novel. So I'm sure I've lost a lot of the nuance in this. Uh, 
about a world where people from a bunch of other worlds, uh, including like steampunk worlds and, and various other worlds, um, are going on, um, you know, going together to go do various things. Um, and uh, it said it was the beginning of the series, but you've only done uh, one of those. And that, it sounded fascinating to me because my big love in role playing was Torg. The, oh, yeah. You know, Thank you. Um, and so I'm just wondering is, uh, why is it that you never followed up on that? Well, I, I had a lot of fun writing that book. Um, the title is Outlands Justice. And and it was sort of like, a, it was very pop fiction oriented. It was sort of like uh, Conan the Barbarian meets uh, True Grit, uh, the, the novel or the movie. Uh, so it had like an old West uh, steampunk uh, fantasy uh, flavor. Uh, but unfortunately the sales didn't, um, justify writing sequels. I mean, the, the novel is self-contained enough that they didn't need a sequel, but I was hoping I'd be able to continue with the characters. But unfortunately, in the end, I, I am running a business. So if the sales don't meet a minimal threshold, I have to move on, on, some, on to something else. Hmm. That is, uh, yeah. Is that rational yeah. or rationalizing? No, that's rational. <laughs> that's the world we live in. Yeah, and it's tough. Uh, uh, in the indie um, fiction uh, uh, world, you kind of have to um, you have to hustle. It's um, you you don't get big advances. Although I don't think nobody is getting big advances nowadays, uh, or very few people at least. And um, you, you're basically living off the income of, of your direct sales. Uh, Amazon pays in 60 days. So it's like whatever you sold uh, two months ago is what you're getting this month. Uh, and you have to, um, you have to write to the market. If, uh, if there is, if there aren't enough people who want a cyberpunk Western fantasy, uh, or maybe enough people who follow me didn't want that, uh, I'm going to try something else. So uh, the business kind of interests me too. Can you approximate, or do you n have numbers on how how many people do you have? How many sales do you get from people who are fans of you versus fans of uh, whatever market you're writing to that month? Well, I, I have a have a sense. I mean, there there is a number of people who will write anything with my name on it. Um, but it's only like maybe a thousand, two thousand people uh, at its broadest, uh, and there's probably like five hundred people who will buy whatever I write, short stories, uh, uh, you know, uh, in any genre. But uh, for the rest, I have a military science fiction fan group that will buy anything Mill SF and won't buy anything else, and now I have a liter PG group that uh, will do the same on that side. So yeah, it's uh, the the market is has some pretty hard uh, segments, and some people don't like to uh, to read uh, all kinds of different genres, which I mean it baffles me a little because I, I read everything. I, I read everything from from traditional horror to uh, to to hard science fiction to all kinds of uh, you know anything in between. But some people just like what they like, and I mean that's that's the way it is. 
Uh, just a conjecture for you. How much of that do you think is human nature? How much of that is the nature of Amazon and other online shopping and advertising in general shape human nature? Um, oh, I'm sure. The, yeah, uh, I'm sure Amazon does shape uh, things a lot, and, and I, I name Amazon in particular because they are about eighty percent of the ebook market which is probably 80% of the independent uh, writer's uh, income, if not more. Um, and, and they definitely, well, I mean, they, they separate everything by categories. Uh, they'll base uh, what they advertise to you based on what you've bought. So it sort of reinforces people's uh, reading habits and makes them less likely to try different things. So there's definitely a, a lot of uh, influence there. Uh, whereas, like, uh, before I, I use Amazon a lot, I, I used to shop at uh, Bain Books um, website. And, you know, every month they had, like, five different books that could be of di completely different uh, genres. And I more often than not, I ended up buying three or four of them. So, yeah, things have changed. That makes sense. I... I want to shift gears a little bit to the RPGs because um, it's no secret that I'm a reader, but I'm kind of sad that I missed the uh, heyday of the work that you were doing. I was a big uh, I was a big D and D kid uh, back then, and so I've got I've got all the Planescape or I had all the Planescape books and everything like that, but never got into GURPS or anything or any of those other systems like that. So I'd love to hear more about the books that you did and your experiences in the industry. And I'm also a little curious to know what you think about it these days. All right. Um, well, I, I, the first RPG that I ever um, looked at uh, before I even really knew what RPGs were was um, Deities and Demigods, the, the old uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, supplement. And um, that fascinated me. And from there, I got into uh, role-playing games. This is in the 80s. And um, I eventually found GURPS, which appealed to me a lot more because the, the rules made a lot more sense than D&D &D ever did, at, at least in, in my head. Uh, and I wrote a couple of articles for them, and then they invited me to write uh, martial arts. And that's how I got started. Um, and I mean, it, it was a lot of fun. It was, um, in many ways, it was just a hobby because uh, really writing a supplement or two a year wasn't, it's not exactly a career. Uh, I didn't really become a full-time uh, game designer until uh, Palladium Books uh, recruited me to work for them. And I did it for a few years and that was a lot of fun. I wrote a lot of uh, uh, Rifts books uh, and, and after that, I um, when I left Palladium, I, I sort of bounced around for a while, and then Eden Studios uh, picked up uh, the, the Uni system that I had designed for Witchcraft, I released those books, and then they got the Buffy license, which I, I think is my, um, in many ways, is my favorite project, because uh, I was a big fan of the show. And I, I did my best to uh, convey the the flavor of the of the TV show into the game rules, and and I think it worked. 
So uh, I had a lot of fun with that. So that's basically my, my career in a nutshell. Uh, and when did you, I mean, you, you've been talking about when you stopped, but what do you think about the industry now? What do you think about the books coming out and, and everything like that? I mean, not to bite, not to bite you too much. I can't believe any of these companies are still in business. No, um, my general feeling is um, garbage fire, uh, trash fire. I mean, <laughs> fair. <laughs> yeah. So no, um, um, I uh, I stopped going to RPG uh, net because they they became insufferable, and all I see is a bunch of insufferable entitled children uh, wrecking everything that uh, other generations built over nothing. I mean, I keep hearing complaints about uh, how racist and segregationist uh, all gaming was. And I went to conventions all the time, a big swarthy guy with an accent, and I always felt welcome. And so did every game that I ever participated in. So it's all, it's all bullcrap. And, uh, in, in just to uh, you know, virtual signal, uh, virtual signal, they've they've ruined uh, the hobby as far as I'm concerned. So that's that's just my opinion. Thank you. All right, I I almost regret asking, but I don't. That's uh, that's pretty well said. I think um, I, I have the same experience. I'm not uh, I'm not big in swarthy or anything, but. Uh, for to you know to answer all those people who claim to know anything about the hobby from the 80s or 90s or early aughts uh, gaming tables a gaming table uh, and anybody who wanted to play the game was always welcome and so the you know the complaints about gatekeeperism and, and so on and so forth they always rang hollow to me yeah i mean they don't get it the, the gate was built around us people didn't want to have anything to do with gaming geeks in, in the 80s and 90s. We were a marginalized group. And I mean, anybody you have, who, to, yeah. you have to admit, when you went to the local gaming convention, there were a lot of smelly old guys with donut crust. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, gamers, I mean, the, the, the old generations of gamers aren't exactly lovable. Uh, and I mean, I, 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 I know that uh, as much as anybody else, but they had their community. And they they weren't harming anybody and they, they weren't uh keeping anybody out nobody wanted to be in it's just that now that it's become more mainstream they they've basically moved into those spaces and just to borrow the the grievance culture terms they invaded our spaces as it were and and now they kicked us out they're invaders they're an invasive species <laughs> The woke cult is an invasive species. I like it. So, um, yeah, I'm going. Well, and, and the games themselves, have you, uh, what was the last RPG you played? Well, I still play RPGs, but um, I mostly play a small indie game that's uh, fantasy based that a friend of mine wrote called Glory Road. Um, mostly because everybody who, who I play with likes that game. I haven't really purchased a, an RPG in at least a decade. Uh, in fact, I didn't even know that White Wolf wasn't writing White Wolf uh, games until a, a few years ago. 
uh, I used to buy a lot of games, but uh, the, the quality got worse, and um, uh, I didn't see uh, much reason to buy them. Well, you're not the only one, for sure. Um, yeah, which, so, is, which is funny, because uh, uh, just to just to get on my own soapbox, one of the nicest things about RPGs was, especially when they became the big money splatbook companies in the 90s, even though we never played those games, the artwork was top quality. Uh, you had the you had the Seattle crew like Anson Maddox and and uh, and the Ron Spencers and and Tony Dedalizzi sold the entire you know Planescape setting to you know my generation of gamers. Timothy Bradstreet, my boy. Oh my goodness, Bradstreet, and uh, I think uh, Golish. Golish is his uh, guy he worked with. Uh, Bradstreet and Golish are did some outstanding, especially for White Wolf. Like in particular, their style was perfect for White Wolf. And, oh yeah, uh, yeah, beautiful books. Um, and even though the books can be beautiful today, the the artwork it's it's a little it's a little twee, it's a little um, Watsy, of course, is the big the big bad in this area. They're the bad guys now um, because they have. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons has a house style now, you know, and, and, and each book has its own style, sort of, but they've also got a house style that you got to stick to. So everything looks a little too polished, whereas back in the day, it was definitely, uh, you know, a company barely being able to put really? food on the table, hiring some freelance artist. You, you look at, like, Dark Sun, Brom sold Dark Sun. I think Dark Sun was an awesome setting. I love Dark Sun. I, I wish I had had a chance to play more Dark Sun than I ever did, than I did. Um, but Brom, his style defined what Dark Sun was because the way he drew and the way his characters looked, and he did great art for a lot of things. I believe Brom did great art for a game, a little rifts game or a little uh, palladium game called nightbane which was coincidentally written by our guest um <laughs> yeah that was my oh. my one brum cover was for night nightbane um but you see i did research for this show <laughs> um but uh brum's look just the way he drew his characters infused Darkson with the feeling that was Darkson, the art and the the feel of the text and the feel of the setting they were going for were so closely matched, it was perfect. And I, the thing that worries me about Fifth Edition is exactly what you said: is all this twee. Um, I don't even know how to describe it because I just shudder every time I think of it. I, I'm, I'm not even interested in analyzing it. I haven't bought it. I haven't read it. I'm not interested in analyzing it. I've got better things to do with my time. Um, but I'm afraid that the art and the text and the intent of the gameplay is as closely matched as Dark Sun was with the Brahm artwork. That is, this is what they genuinely want you to see D and D as being. Yeah, because they're building that brand instead of 
illustrating a game. And it's awful. It's not D and D. Well, no, it's a it's a Hasbro product, uh, which is amazing because Wizards of the Coast, uh, for all their faults, and and they've always been they've always been a woke company, but they were the with Magic the Gathering. They had those that Seattle scene of artists working for them, and they did amazing, amazing stuff. Yeah, they also kind of killed the RPG business industry. But... <laughs> along the way, but uh, that's not really their fault. It's uh, Magic the Gathering's fault. But, but yeah, that, um, no, definitely. But definitely, the the art uh, was a huge influence. I mean, you also had, I mean, the the Shadowrun books. I, I collected those faithfully, even though I never ran a, a straight uh, Shadowrun campaign, because the story and the art were very compelling to me. So. Um, so definitely, yeah, I, I, I get that a lot. Like we we definitely have a love hate relationship with Shadowrun here. <laughs> yeah, I love Shadowrun. He hates the game system. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the setting. I never even tried to play the game system. I just adapted it to uh, to whatever I was running at the time. Uh, I always like mixing and maxing, <clears throat> uh, mixing and. And uh, mixing things together, different uh, game setting, different uh, systems. So uh, that's usually I, I usually strip games for parts, and then incorporate them into whatever I'm running. So okay, so I, uh, go ahead. Yes. No, that was basically it. So it's in terms of business, awful business. The hobbies in a bad place right now but if you could write any game right now uh what would interest you right now is is there something that you haven't written that you would love to hmm. well, i mean i would have liked to do to have done more um i really wanted to to have to see the book for uh, superheroes that the road for unisystem uh, released because that was a lot of fun, and, um, and and I created a lot of fun settings for it. Although I ended up using one of those settings for uh, the first few novels that I wrote, uh, uh, the Armageddon Girl series. So I kind of did that. But uh, yeah, it would have been nice to have that, that game uh, out. All right. CJ Superheroes. I love it. Yeah, so I've always liked to... Um, I've always been sort of uh, oriented towards power gaming, and uh, people in in rifts hated me because I I tended to make things very overpowered, uh, <laughs> and and I don't regret it one bit. Uh, chat loves the RPG talk. We got a question from Catholic Lancer. Uh, he'd love to hear more about magic killing RPGs. All right. Well. When um, when Magic the Gathering came out, it uh, it completely upset the um, uh, sort of the ecosystem of the of the gaming market, which was basically dedicated hobby stores that they weren't very profitable, but they basically were oriented towards you know you had your <clears throat> your role playing game section, you had your uh, miniatures and uh, and war gaming and uh, and even uh, uh, what you might call it, assembling 
planes or uh, ships uh, section. So it was very hobby oriented. Uh, magic was such an infusion of quick, easy money that uh, the, the stores shifted their focus completely away from, from hobbies, which became just a little sideshow, and they went full on for the, uh, for the collectibles market. Um, and that pretty much wiped out a whole bunch of independent um, uh, gaming companies because they, they could no longer uh, get the minimum orders that uh, they would normally be expected to get from, from stores. And I saw that happen uh, right before me uh, in the in the early '90s. Uh, at that point, I was working at, at Palladium Books, and uh, so I saw it from the inside. And it's kind of funny because uh, uh, Palladium almost killed Wizards before they even discovered Garfield and, and Magic the Gathering in a in a lawsuit. <laughs> so the the whole gaming uh, industry might have changed, uh, be completely different now if. Uh, Nobody had uh, given uh, Garfield his chance to, to release his game. That's it. That's the that key. That lawsuit was such garbage. It was garbage. <laughs> uh, and I am passionate about that because I love that project. I, I bought a copy of the PDF for that project just uh, five, six years ago. Oh, I had a book. Uh, I had the book, yeah. I love that they had all the, all the rules for all the different game systems. Oh, I, I was literally I was looking forward to like the government order and the underworld order and the military order. I went to Gen Con in uh, 97 and uh, I harassed a Wizards of the Coast. And this is right after they bought TSR. I harassed a Wizards of the Coast staffer. I'm like, and so this was like what? five years after they started or three years after they started magic, the gathering, I harassed them about, Hey, are you guys ever going to publish the military order and stuff? Turns out, no, I guess the lawsuit really aggravated them so much. They weren't going to do it, but man, I wanted those other books. I still want to be able to go to another alternate universe where all of those other supplements for the primal order uh the other ones uh were published so i could pick them up i have all the like chessboards planes in contention and all the other uh supplements for the primal order that actually got published i bought them i have them in my in my role-playing milk crates right against the wall over here <laughs> nice that was uh, I love that book. I love that book just unreasonably. It was it was spectacular design. It was spectacular concepts. It was so well written, so well thought through. Uh, it just fabulous on on every every single level. One of the best role playing supplements I've ever ever seen. No, definitely. Speaking of fanboying. Uh, John, was that a setup for me? me? Was that a setup for yes. something? Because I, 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 all I, all I had was a joke. You ready? So yeah. that's that, that's what you do if you have a time machine. You got two choices: go back in time and kill Hitler, or go back in time and stop Magic: The Gathering. One of two. I don't think it would have <laughs> saved TSR though. TSR was already knee deep in uh, 
in questionable decisions. Yeah, they might have gone under uh, or, or been or just lingered on as a much smaller company. They, they weren't doing well. Uh, and, and I think eventually somebody was going to bring the, the collectible card games out and um, and that would have that would have done it. Yeah, uh, it's hard to, to see see to think that um, there was a way to stop it. Yeah, I, and it, it was a genius game. Uh, it it yeah. is. It just I, I don't know how it's still playable after so many years. But uh, yeah, it was a genius game, and, and unfortunately, it was the business, like you said. Uh, I saw I saw a couple of game stores. A game store opened up actually in Salt Lake City uh, when I lived there, and it was a wonderful place, sort of a more adult, family-oriented game store. And they refused to stock uh, the you know the little the little packages of crack cocaine. They they just did board games and they had family nights and board game nights and they had a dedicated Dominion night and everything like that. They were only open for a couple of years before the magic was on the shelves and they had Friday night magic because you, you you do have to buy food <laughs> and pay rent. Well, yeah. I mean, the money was just too good. Um, and of course, when, when, when crashes came, as they, as they always do, uh, a bunch of stores just went out of business completely. So... So yeah, it, it was it was a very it, it destroyed the uh, the industry uh, other than the big guys, and, and of course, uh, Wizards bought uh, Hasbro and became the biggest guy. So, uh, but it, it was hard to be uh, to be anybody other than Wizards uh, or has or TSR uh, after that. We're uh, we're almost all out of time, so I want to switch back to your uh, to your fiction. Uh, do you have any exciting news you want to spoil for us uh, that's not on your site yet? Do you have, do you have any tidbits to give us? Anything coming up? Well, n nothing I can really talk about. I, I, I have a contract for a, for a series that uh, hopefully I'll be able to, um, to wrap up sometime this year, and then I'll be able to talk more about it, but... Right now, I'm, I'm trying to finish the um, the current series I'm working on, and um, another little RPG series that uh, it's set in the same universe that uh, starts with uh, Twilight Templar. Um, uh, I'm writing the last book of that series uh, as well. So when that that's done, and this series is done, I'm probably going to uh, work on something completely different, or another little RPG series. It's going to depend on. On a few factors, but nothing I can really talk about. All right. Well, uh, just let DW know when you're ready. We'd love to oh, hear definitely. about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'd like to give you another opportunity. We're going to wrap it up now. But uh, do you have anything else that you want to talk about and and or give a final plug for uh, what's coming up for you? Well, I'll say I'll keep, um, I'm, I'm definitely um, in it for the long haul. Uh, so I'm going to be, plan to be writing at least another three or four books this year. And um, I hope that people keep um, uh, the Gold Killer Chronicles uh, a chance. I think it's a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun writing it. Uh, it is a lot of fun writing it. And I think I, I think readers will, uh, will catch some of that fun. Awesome. And, and I do have a link to your site as well as the latest book here in the show notes. So anybody watching this later, just check out the the description on YouTube for 
uh, for the links to those. Uh, I hope, awesome. and, and you've done so much stuff. I hope there's something for everyone to find in it. Um, I'll, I'll take a step back and thanks so much uh, to chat. It's great seeing you guys here. I hope you enjoyed the show and I hope everybody who listens later uh, found someone or something they like. Uh, that's it for me this week. Uh, Daddy Warpig, I will let you finish. All right, folks, we want to thank everybody who turned in, tuned in live uh, to listen to the show. We once again, as always, thanks to our uh, distinguished and awesome fan base, had a, a great discussion in chat. If you also tune in live, you can come in and join the discussion. We are here just about every Saturday, just about the same time, which is 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m., Pacific on youtube.com slash geek gab. That is youtube.com slash geek gab. And like I mentioned before, we are scheduled for next Saturday, Larry Korea and Steve Diamond coming to talk about their new book, which is releasing on, I believe, Friday, March 1st. So, uh, you can go and, uh, Hear about the book right after its release. We'll uh, have a great discussion about that and probably some other stuff, too. Um, for those of you that can't listen live, feel free to listen later. We will be just as happy to give you some entertainment, some information, and some completely awesome energy to inject directly into your veins. Thanks for tuning in. Oh, I almost forgot. We are also available on soundcloud.com we are also available on the google play store and we are also available on the itunes store so you can download and listen to us on the device of your choice feel free to, to uh subscribe and uh have all of the geek gab goodness that you so desperately need in your life thanks for tuning in folks we are signing out for today but don't you worry don't you fret we We'll be back.